is a podcast from Concern Worldwide, bringing you stories from some of the 25 countries we work in as humanitarians, the challenges communities are facing, some of the solutions and other bits in between. To find out more about Concern, visit concern.net. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Pod Worldwide. In this episode, Concerns Kira McConville tells us about what life is like in Haiti amid months of gang violence. We hear from Sierra Leone on what item helps our vaccination team reach remote communities during torrential rains. It's scary because when there is this heavy downpour of rain, the roads get cut off. So you go into the water you cannot even see the bridges. And Dublin footballing legend Michael Dara McCauley takes on her How Much Do You Know quiz. Uh, I'll take it, I'll take it. Yeah. I always was a bit of a CSU, didn't you? I'm your host, Ayler Staunton. First up, Haiti, where at the time of recording, a fragile truce is in place after months of violence in the Caribbean nation. Concerns Kieran McConville has recently returned from Haiti and shared this explainer on the situation there and here's from the people affected. In the first eight months of this year, at least 2,500 people have died violently, as many as a thousand have been kidnapped and Haiti now ranks as one of the five most food insecure countries in the world. Fertile, stunningly beautiful and culturally vibrant, this Caribbean nation has suffered much from its colonial legacy, foreign interference, political instability and an ongoing series of natural disasters. The gangs who control 80% of the capital, Port-au-Prince, are not shy about using violence to exert that control. Cité Soleil is a huge, informal, urban settlement, what we used to call a slum. It's home to about 400,000 people who have few, if any, of the basics we take for granted, like electricity, running water or a functioning sewage system. Today, the only reason I can be here with my cameras and my recorder is because I'm wearing my Concern shirt and travelling with my Concern colleagues in our Concern car. That at least gets us past the makeshift checkpoint at the edge of the no-man's land between one gang's territory and the next. As we navigate a flooded street, awash with garbage and lined with ruined dwellings, my colleague Mimos points out that Concern is one of a very few organisations working here and it's been a long hard road to build a reputation and generate the trust needed to move around reasonably freely. I'm here to meet Florgera. She's a bright-eyed, razor-sharp, somewhat shy young woman in her early 20s who is a member of the Comité Consultatif Jeune, a group of very dynamic and forward-thinking young people who have set their sights on changing the narrative that they feel has been imposed on their generation. The members can't even safely cross into each other's neighbourhoods to get together, so they hold their meetings at the Concern compound up in the relative safety of Pétionville in the hills. There, they draw up plans to advocate for the youth of Cité Soleil on a whole range of issues, both social and economic. People think that those living in Cité Soleil are all bad, Florgera tells us, but there are many, many good, hard-working people here. It's the conditions that are bad. The Comité have been documenting life in Cité Soleil through stories and music, using a variety of social media channels to get their message of hope across. 
We stop by a ramshackle dwelling made from concrete blocks and tin. It's home to Brunia and about 10 members of her extended family, mostly teenagers and children. An e-voucher system run by Concern allows families like this one to collect basic food items like rice, flour and oil from a local trader on a regular basis. Brunia says it's what's keeping them alive. Nobody in the household is working and there are no social safety nets here. She weeps as she tells us that her older brother, the main breadwinner for the family, was shot dead two months ago as he drove his taxi through the no-man's land we had traversed to get here earlier in the day. In Cité Soleil, there are many, many stories like this one. But the stories of hope are there too. Justal Ernice is a big, jolly woman with a raucous laugh. She went through one of the business development programmes and now her small trading centre is thriving. I have a new home, money to send the children to school, and we eat regularly, she tells us. In a church hall, 10 members of the local Savings and Loan Association gather to do their business. I've seen these groups all over the world, and they are one of the most impactful ways to help communities develop. Just like the credit union system in Ireland played such a pivotal role in our own economic development over the decades. For now, it's fair to say that the positives do not outweigh the negatives for the majority who live in Cité Soleil. Noel Just tells us that peace is the first priority because right now people are not really living, they are just surviving. My concerned colleagues in Haiti are helping people to survive, but more importantly, they're offering a glimmer of hope, an indication that those living through these worst of times have not been forgotten. Thanks to Kieran for that report and to everyone who spoke to him. If you want to find out more about our programmes and the communities we work with in Haiti, you can find more information on the Concern website, concern.net. Time now for items I can't do my job without, where we hear from concerned colleagues around the world on what object, big and small, is essential to their job. We're in Sierra Leone in the capital Freetown to chat to Massa Musa, a midwife and part of Concern's vaccination team. Massa regularly travels 100 kilometres or more around Bombali district in the north of Sierra Leone to serve and support remote communities. She told me what item in her job makes sure she reaches those communities. My name is Masa Musa. I'm working with the vaccination project. The vaccination project is mainly on COVID-19 vaccination, but then we have other vaccinations that are going on, which is the HPV vaccine, the human papilloma virus, for the prevention of cervical cancer in girls. Then we are also focusing on other childhood immunizations against polio, they give this vaccination, we vaccine, they vaccinate against the measles, yellow fever, they also give prophylaxis for malaria. And malaria, is, a, is, a, is it a big problem in Sierra Leone? Yeah, Ma- malaria is a big problem in Sierra Leone. 
and in my district also is killing most of the ch the children yeah it's very serious we're here you're going to tell us the one item that makes a huge difference to your job what is that item okay that item is a motorbike it's a big motorbike the xl and <laughs> <laughs> very strong yes very strong i would imagine a little scary uh, yeah <laughs> most likely um during the rains it's scary yes because when there is this heavy downpour of rain the roads get cut off so you go into the water where you cannot even see the bridges so you have to push your motorbike to pass through so it's a bit scary <laughs> and what would the bridges be made of would, the, would there be cement or would there be wooden or a mix yes some are wooden bridges some are made up with um this palm tree okay. can you imagine that <laughs> i can yeah. imagine it i wouldn't want to do it yeah. <laughs> some are actually cements but not every area the communities we are working vehicle cannot go through so except the motorbike so it really makes my work easier because if i said i'm going to like community health center with a car i find it's very difficult because the roads we get cut off there will be no road for motor vehicle but if i'm using the bike i can easily access there because a lot of your work would be going to remote areas yeah, you know, in concern, we do think that everyone is equal and they should have access to the vaccination. So that's why we have to go to these how to reach villages. We go further because you will not just go to where the health facilities are. There are other communities that are under that health facilities that will not access this vaccination if you don't go and meet them. I mean, how long could you be traveling, let's say, on the bike? I travel like five hours just to get there. How often does it rain and how bad can the rains be? We have six months of rainy season. We are in the rainy season and the rainy season starts from May, May to October. Sometimes it's come up above our knees. That's bad. That's really bad. But during the rains, you can't predict the sun. The sun will started coming up. By the time you know it, there is rain. <laughs> and it will rain heavily. I'm going to say, you've got some Irish weather there. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think it's comparative, is it? Yes, because, you know, maybe over there, you people have good road network, but here we have bad road network. So yeah. you mentioned vaccinations for COVID-19 and then children immunizations. Is everyone happy to get them? Is everyone accepting of them? Now everyone is happy to get the COVID-19. Before this time, they were scared of taking the vaccine because of the misconception. But with the teams that we have set, the mobile team, the outreach team, and giving them information and call all the stakeholders in the communities, then we try to sensitize them. They will listen to their questions and concerns. I think the next time we're staring out the window looking at the non-stop rain here in Ireland, we might think of Massa and her motorbike in Sierra Leone. She's a much braver woman than me. Thanks a million to Massa for her time.
finishing up with our How Much Do You Know quiz, where we test the knowledge of Irish celebrities, activists, influencers and interesting folks to know how much they know about the country's concern works in. Eight time All-Ireland football winner with Dublin and as an undub that hurts me to say that, Concern Ambassador and all around nice guy Michael Darren McCauley spoke to Concerns Emma Kelly and Dublin fan about life after football, his job as Community Sport and Wellbeing Coordinator and takes on the Pod Worldwide quiz. Today I'm speaking to Michael Darmacali, Dublin footballing legend. How are you today? I'm good, Emma. Yeah, thanks very much. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. How has life been lately? What have you been up to? Now I've been a Dublin fan watching the mm. men and the women win all Ireland this year. That's been uh, that's been fun. It's my first time on the other side of it. And yeah, apart from that, just usually yeah, kind of working away. I'm still working in the northeast in the city, doing sports and wellness stuff. I'm still playing football myself, so I'm still playing against the dubs, win my club and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, keep busy. Do you start missing out on things, not being out on the pitch? I was fine, to be honest. And my, my girlfriend actually used to play for the Dublin women's team as well. So she was kind of her first time on the other side of that as well. So it was kind of interesting for both of us. But um, it, it is true. I know some people have struggled on the, on the other side of it and get kind of big, like, jealousy feelings or stuff. Um, but I suppose, I don't know, I was just kind of grateful the, the, the time I had with Dublin. It went really well. It wouldn't change anything. I left it on a good note. So I think... Um, I was happy to just be a Dublin fanboy, to be honest with you. And you mentioned there you're sort of still in like the wellness and fitness industry. Was there ever any thoughts of going outside that sort of realm completely, or were you always going to stay in that kind of work? I struggled for a while, like in my like early twenties, trying to find out where, what direction I was going to be. And I actually I worked. I remember I worked with a with a coach to kind of help me, just give me a bit of direction. I didn't know what direction I was going. I kind of liked working with youths, and but I didn't know exactly how that was going to take shape and um, so that's actually how I ended up in a uh, primary school teaching that was kind of the basis for everything and I suppose the I would have done all the wellness stuff just in my own time mm-hmm. and in 2018 you went to Kenya and 2019 you went to Iraq as um, one of our ambassadors obviously it's a while now um, ago that you went on these trips but can you tell us anything about those experiences in 2018 I was lucky enough to go to Kenya I went over to Nairobi and I suppose I was a primary school teacher at the time. So that was a particularly interesting one just in terms of like seeing like the education system over there. We visited a number of different schools in there. So like, look, it's a different ball game. Like I remember like just we were complaining about our class sizes in, in Dublin and we have too many kids over here. And those kids are just packed in the rooms. Um, but I remember like I remember like sitting uh, at the back of a classroom and I'd say like, 40, 50 kids, you know, like not a peep out of them. We're just like listening. They're all like eight or nine years old, listening to every single word coming out of the teacher's mouth, which they never do when I'm teaching it. I remember just thinking that the teacher was just doing an unbelievable job. Like it was really like high level education. I don't know why I would have expected it less, but it was really, really good. And with Iraq then the following year, it's a much different context. There's different issues at play. How is that experience in comparison? Uh, Iraq was a really interesting experience. We was all dealing with the Syrian refugees. That civil war was going on 10, 11 years at that time. We went to two main refugee camps. Both of them were had about 14,000 people in it, so they were huge. We, we just went in, got to know a number of the stories. Again, it's covering basic needs in, in terms of shelter and food at those stages. So a lot of these families were coming in, like huge amounts of trauma. Yeah, and then I remember like they actually had like I remember like a little soccer pitch. I had a game of football with them. I remember missing an open goal, and <laughs> laughing at me because everyone gathered around to watch it, and I was like, "That was embarrassing." I drank my only ever cup of tea in Iraq. I thought your like, only ever cup of tea. 
I know, I know. The lady in the in the tent was nice enough to make me a cup of tea, but I was like, she had the bare essentials, and I felt obviously I couldn't say get that tea away. From me. <laughs> I I had a cup of tea, and that's that's my only cup of tea. But but that was just an example of how nice and friendly they were, and like they would give you anything of the very little that they have, like so. You definitely come home with a different perspective. We always have a little quiz um, with our guests each episode um, on how well do you know, insert subject here. And we thought that because you went to Kenya and Iraq, we would base the questions on Kenya and Iraq. This could be difficult. Well, <laughs> okay, I'll give you um, one minute. An easy one to start. What is the capital city of Kenya? Is it Mombasa, Nairobi or Malindi? Nairobi. Nairobi. Off to a great start. Uh, the national animal of Kenya is A, the Okapi, B, the East African lion, or C, the Nile crocodile? Ooh. The lion? It is, yes. The Iraqi currency is the same used in countries such as Algeria and Jordan. It is called A, the dinar, B, the lira, or C, the bir. Dinar? Yeah. See, you're flying. One that might be more in your wheelhouse, the Iraqi soccer team played their only World Cup in which decade? Was it the 1990s, 1970s, or the 2010s? 2010s. No, actually it was the 90s. Um, and how many languages is it estimated are spoken in Kenya? Is it 12, 24, or 68? Oh, it's a lot. Um, oh, I think it was 68, but I'm gonna go 24. Oh, I should've went with your first instinct. <laughs> and. Who is the Kenyan Wangari Muta Mathai? Is she a singer? Is she the first woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize? Or is she Olympian runner? Uh, Olympian runner? No, actually she won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2004 for her contribution to sustainable development, democracy and peace. So she's very impressive. Only the Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. Only the Nobel Peace Prize. So out of that, you got three, which is actually quite impressive considering the difficulty of some of those questions. <laughs> uh, I'll take it, I'll take it. Yeah. I always was a bit of a C student, didn't you? <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael Dara. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Emma. Thanks to Michael Dara McCauley for taking the time to take part in our quiz. With three points, he's currently joined second on the leaderboard, along with Irish soccer international Heather Payne. Vanula Moran, Irish broadcaster and sustainable activist, is staying strong, though, at the top with five points. The podcast team would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you'd like to hear on our How Much Do You Know quiz. You can email us at podworldwide at concern.net or you can send a message or a voice note via WhatsApp to an Irish number 085-872-0720. If you're under 18, don't forget to CC in your guardian if emailing or message from their phone once you have their permission, of course. And that's it for this episode of Pod Worldwide. Thank you so much for taking the time and listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. You can get in touch via email to podworldwide at concern.net. Don't forget to subscribe if you enjoyed this episode and please give Pod Worldwide a review on whichever platform you get your podcast. It really does help grow our audience. We'll be doing it all again next month. Until then, thanks to our guests for joining us and all the production team.